and fiqh. And so we've, we've uh, if we want to know, you know, something that we should believe in terms of aqidah, we go to the madhabs and aqidah. So we go to the madhab of Imam al-Ash'ari, we go to the madhab of Imam al-Maturidi, we go to the madhab of Imam Ahmed, if we were to call it as such. And we look for the answer. And if we want to figure out what we should do about something in our day-to-day practice, then we go to the madhabs of the four imams primarily. And then there's some conversation as to whether or not we should be straying outside of them for Sunnis. Um, but primarily we go to the madhabs of the four imams. So we see what did Abu Hanifa say, what did Madik say. But not only what did they say, but what did the scholars of the madhab say in applying their principles and their rules. You know, maybe uh, today there might be a position that's different than uh, you know, um, Abu Hanifa's opinion on if, if you can return a product after you buy it was that you only have three days. And Abu Yusuf and Muhammad didn't put a limit on it as long as it was uh, known how long it would be. You know, so like if you go to Best Buy or something, they tell you you have 15 days. If you go to Costco, it tells you 30. As long as it's agreed upon, they're okay with it. So, you know, generally the position that's taken today is Abu Yusuf and Muhammad, not that of Abu Hanifa. So when we say, when we look at the madhab, we look at more than the, just the founder of the madhab, but the, the principles and their application in, um, in our lives. So we do that for belief, and we do that for fiqh, for our day-to-day actions. And so we know that we have these imams. In Aqidah we have, again, uh, Abu al-Hasan al-Ash'ari, and we have Abu Mansur al-Maturidi, and we have uh, Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal. And then in the four madhabs in fiqh we have Nu'man ibn Thabit, Abu Hanifa, we have Malik ibn Anas, we have Shafi'i, Muhammad ibn Idris al-Shafi'i, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and Ahmed ibn Hanbal. But then when the question arises, because we talk about Hadith Jibreel all the time, right? So in Hadith Jibreel, Hadith Jibreel we have Iman and Islam and Ihsan. And that's like the foundation for our worldview, is this understanding that these are the major disciplines of what our religion is. There's the discipline of Iman, which is belief. And there's the discipline of Islam, which is the outward rules. And then there's the discipline of Ihsan, which is how do we come to worship Allah as though we see Him? And if we don't see him, we know that he sees us. So how do we worship him like that? That's the field of Ihsan. And they say generally that in the field of Ihsan, there's one Imam. There's many Imams, but like the Imam of this realm is Imam al-Junaid, radiallahu ta'ala He's also called Abu al-Qasim, he's also called Junaid al-Salik, Junaid the Traveler, or the Wayfarer. Um, of course, he took from people before him, and people took from him afterwards and so on and so forth like every other discipline uh, there's more to it than just him but the point is to understand that Imam al-Junaid radiallahu ta'ala anhu is really like one of the major figures in this field so why that's important is because when we face confusion it's these Imams that lift the confusion for us right so we face some confusion it's the Imams who lift the confusion so okay what should I do Alright, let me look at the Imams and what they said. Okay, now I know this is okay for me to do, this is not okay for me to do. These are the limits. What should I believe? Okay, this is okay. So when we, we want to understand how, sh- how should I journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when I want to understand how should I journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then I want to look to the Imam of this field, which is Al-Junaid radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Uh, he was born in the early 200s after Hijrah, and he died in 298 after Hijrah. So he's in still this formative period, for those of you who are in uh, Sheikh Fuad's class. 
is roughly towards you know the end of this formative period. And there was again, of course, people who preceded him. Uh, just as we have chains of narration for the knowledge of fiqh and chains of narration for the knowledge of aqidah, just as we have chains of narration for memorizing the Quran and we have chains of narration for memorizing the hadith or learning the hadith, narrating the hadith, we also have chains of narration for spiritual uh, wayfaring, maybe we can say. So, uh, you know, people will generally go back to Imam al-Junaid or they might go back to other places, but he's, he's one of the main figures. There's others in his time, of course, also that were very important, as I mentioned. Among them was his uncle, Sari al-Saqati, radiallahu anhu. But uh, Junaid was known to uh, you know, be really... These people, it's important that we remember that these people, although we say there's Iman, there's Islam, there's Ihsan, and people specialized maybe in one or the other, but oftentimes they were also specialists in all of them on our modern standards, but they were really excellent maybe in one of them. So we talk about Abu Hanifa, Abu Hanifa was really known for his work in fiqh, right? And the Shafi'i would say that ala Abi Hanifa, that everyone is like a dependent, everyone is a dependent on Abu Hanifa when it comes to fiqh. Because of what he did in that work, uh, of that process, he just did so much. He gave us such a profound understanding of how the whole fiqh thing works. Um, and, but at the same time, Abu Hanifa, I mean it's disputed, but generally speaking, Abu Hanifa also wrote in Aqidah. Like in Fiqh al-Akbar, there's some debate as to whether or not it was his work, but even if, it, even if we were to say it wasn't directly his work, it came from his words. Okay, so you understand what I'm saying? So maybe he didn't like sit down and write it himself, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't his knowledge. Okay? So even the Aqidah of Imam al-Tahawi which is pretty well regarded, the Aqidah of Imam al-Tahawi uh, he says in the beginning this is the Aqidah of uh, Fuqaha al-Milla Abi Hanifa, Abi Yusuf al-Muhammad he says in the beginning, this is from their words this Tahawi creed that I'm giving you is from the words directly of Abu Hanifa and Abu Yusuf al-Muhammad so he was an Imam also an Aqidah and Abu Hanifa was known to pray in the night you know, I've said before, he, it's said about him that he prayed Fajr with the wudu of Isha for decades. He prayed, like This is widely narrated about him and many other people. He prayed Fajr with the wudu of Isha for decades, meaning he would be all up, he would be up all night in worship and in obedience and all of these kind of things, right? So clearly he's an imam in spirituality too, right? But we know him as the imam in fiqh. And he himself would go to other people in other disciplines. So we've said before that it's said that Jafar al-Sadiq, radiallahu anhu, Imam Jafar al-Sadiq was actually uh, the Shaykh of Ihsan for Abu Hanifa and, and for Mahalik actually. And that Ahmed ibn Hanbal used to go to other people. Um, Shaybana Rai and, and everyone had people that they would go to. Even though they were Imams, they still recognized, okay, these people are really the Imams of the Imams, you know? Like sometimes you say, this is so and so, like there's shuyukh and then there's sheikh al you know? Like there's sheikhs and then there's the sheikh of the sheikhs. There's scholars and there's the scholar of the scholars, right? So they would understand this. So Junaid, the reason I'm saying all of this is to understand that Junaid is the imam of the imams in the world of spirituality. So, uh, and, and we may oftentimes find a lot of things to be confused about and a lot of uh, ideas that are confusing in the world of spirituality, right? Especially in the world we live in today. 
So you might have sheikhs that say different things and you might have other sheikhs that say other things and you don't know what to do and which thing is right and which thing is not right and how do I understand it and what are the principles that guide me in that path and how do I know when something's gone too far and um, and then on top of it you have all this new age spirituality stuff you know like well it seems like maybe the mindfulness meditation is going to be better for me than salat so I think I'm going to do that instead just five times a day I'm going to do mindfulness meditation and I'll do it with the name of Allah so it's still Islamic but I'm not going to do salat you know so it's like okay it's interesting or I'm going to read all of the books of all of these new age philosophers and spiritual people and so on but I'm not going to read anything from Sabiqun, like our, our spiritual forefathers and foremothers, right? So now we start getting into, there's a lot of areas actually for confusion. So people start. So when we go to Imam al-Junaid, we get some level of clarity. Okay, so all of that is by way of introduction. And just like the four Imams are largely agreed upon and the Imams of Aqidah are largely agreed upon, Imam al-Junaid is largely agreed upon. There were some people maybe in that time period that um, maybe there's some debate on their centrality. Maybe there's some effort that needs to go into contextualizing some of the things maybe they said. But when it comes to Imam al-Junaid, Junaid is, he's pretty well agreed upon. So all of that being said, inshallah we will start. Um, I also mentioned in the beginning that uh, you know, a word of appreciation to Sheikh Fuad. Allah bless him and protect him and his family and preserve him and give him increase. Uh, I asked him, you know, when we finished the last text, I asked him, what, what do you think I should do next? So he said, without hesitation, you should do this. This He is the one who sent me this PDF, actually. So without hesitation, when I asked him, he said, you should do this text. So, inshallah, there's a blessing in uh, taking his advice. And of course, uh, Imam al-Junaid is Imam al-Junaid, so there's great blessing in reading his words. Um, and Sufyan, we remind ourselves what Sufyan ibn Aryana radiallahu an used to say, who was also one of the mujtahid imams. Sufyan ibn Aryana used to say, That when you mention the righteous people, mercy descends. When you mention the righteous people, mercy descends. So we hope that in uh, mentioning Imam al-Junaid and talking about him and benefiting from him, there will be good in that. Uh, this work, as far as I know, is not translated. It's not like his own work. So basically, this author, what they did was they went to different books throughout history, and they found the statements of Imam al-Junaid in these different books, and they put all of that into one little collection that we can read. Okay. So uh, I don't know that there's a translation of it, but we'll go piece by piece, inshallah. Uh, so here's the first one. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. <coughs> قال الشيخ رحمه الله تعالى ونفعنا الله إياه بعلومه في الدارين أمين. I'm gonna read the whole Arabic and then I'll translate. أول الواجبات قال أبو القاسم رحمه الله إن أول ما يحتاج يحتاج إليه من من عقد الحكمة تعريف مصنوع صانعهم فيعرف صفة خالق من المخلوق وصفة قديم من المحدث فيعرف المربوب رب المربوب ربه والمسنوع صانعه والعبد الضعيف سيده فيعبده ويوحده ويعظمه ويعترف بوجوب طاعته ويذل لدعوته والتوحيد علمك وإقرارك بأن الله فرد في, في أوليته وأزليته لا ثاني معه ولا شيء يفعل فعله وأن تعلم أن ليس شيء يضره ولا ينفع ولا يعطي ولا يمنع ولا يسقم ولا يبرئ ولا يرفع ولا يضع 
ولا يخلق ولا يرزق ولا يميت ولا يحيي غير غيره جل جلاله سبحانه وتعالى So he says he starts off Abu Qasim said the following Imam Al-Jalid The first thing that someone needs min aqd al-hikmah This is an interesting expression the first person that's the first thing that a person needs min aqd al-hikmah Allahu alam how to translate that but basically the idea here is that the person is trying to get their relationship with Allah right they're trying to know Allah better so what is the first thing that they need this is very important right we want to get to we want to better ourselves what is the first thing we need is the first thing we need to be generous is the first thing we need to i don't know make jihad is the first thing we need to seek knowledge what what is it what is the first thing that is absolutely necessary if the person wants to get their relationship with Allah right says the first thing that they need to know is the created the thing that is made needs to know its maker the thing that is made needs to know its maker and as such they know the the description of the creator um, and the difference between the creator and the created okay so the, the the created thing knows its creator and it knows that who the creator is and the difference between the creator and the created thing. So the one who is the object of lordship knows their lord, and the one who is made knows their maker, and the weak servant knows their owner and their master. So because of that, then they're able to worship him, and they're able to uh, declare his oneness, and they're able to magnify him and glorify him, and they're able to recognize the oblig obligation of obedience to him, and they're able to humble themselves to his call, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah has called us to worship him. Because we understand who he is, we're able to humble ourselves in front of that call. And we're able to accept that obedience. Okay, so this is the first part of what he says. This is very important. It's very important to know who is Allah. And alhamdulillah for, you know, Sheikh Fuad is here and several of his classes have been taught. You can go back and review them if you don't feel like you have a sufficient answer to that question. Go back and listen to his series on the Creed of Oneness. Go back and listen to his series on the minor redaction, Surah Surah of Imam Sanusi. And after doing that, you'll be in a good position to understand who is Allah. And what do we say about Allah and what do we not say about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And by extension, the Prophets and the Day of Judgment and so on. But this is the ultimate starting point. You know, No one can come closer to Allah without knowing who Allah is. And really, we have to know who He is. You know, What is the difference between the Creator and the Created? What does it mean when, when, when we say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has knowledge of all things? I mean, really, to think about it. I was thinking about something today. It's like, you realize when you have kids, that people who don't have kids have no idea what life is like without kid, with kids. They just don't have any conceptualization of it. They, they, they actually, and, and, and they'll say things sometimes where you're like, yeah, I mean, that's really cool, but you have no idea. <laughs> like, you really don't understand what this whole thing is and how it's functioning, you know, it's similar to someone who and there's levels to this like someone who's single and they don't have to work Doesn't know what life is really like for the person who's single and they have to work The person who's single and they're not married They don't really know what life is like when you're married and the different, you know, life changes when you're married uh, The person who's married, but they don't have kids they don't really understand what life is like when you have kids, and so on, right? person who's married and they have kids, but their parents are healthy, 
They don't know what it's like for their parents to be ill, you know? And and like think about this subhanAllah, like it's it's and, and if you've lived long enough to go through any of these stages, you've seen it. Like you've interacted with people and you've been like, wow, subhanAllah, they just really don't understand. Like it's they're not trying to be rude. They're not trying to just be dismissive or whatever else. They just don't get it. They don't understand what life is like for, for this person versus that person. Um, and think about then, You know, like how many times like we get so frustrated. I don't understand why this is happening or that is happening or why things are going this way or that way or these things are happening in the world and so on and so forth. It's not your world. It's Allah's world. So Allah does whatever He wants, subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, think about like we can't even we're married, we don't have kids, we can't understand people who have kids. How are we gonna stand understand Allah? Now, there has to be some level at which you say, like Allah is Allah and I don't understand why Allah does what he does. I try to gleam some hikmah here and there, some wisdoms here and there. I try to come close to him, I try to worship him, I try to give him his due, subhanahu wa ta'ala. But in the end of the day, Allah is Allah and I'm just his servant. So what does he say at the end? He says, when he knows all of these things, the person knows all of these things, he or she knows all of these things. It's beautiful. SubhanAllah, the words are very beautiful. He says, when they understand, really, when the person really understands who is Allah, He's the Creator. What does it mean for Him to be the Creator, for me to be created, for me to be made, for Him to be the Maker, all of these things? Then I can worship Him and I can glorify Him and I can claim, I can. Uh, affirm his oneness and I can recognize the obligation of worshiping him and being obedient to him subhanahu wa ta'ala then he continues and he says what is Tawheed? Tawheed to believe in the oneness of God is your knowledge and your affirmation that Allah is absolutely unique in his beginninglessness and his endlessness he has no there's no one alongside him and there's nothing that does his actions, subhanahu wa ta'ala. What's really amazing about this when you read it is like, these words that he's using, they very clearly mirror actually, for people who have taken Sheikh Fuad's classes, you'll see that they very clearly mirror the words that are used by you know, the Imams of Aqidah to describe Allah. So he's not using the exact same words and they're still in that early period, right? But he's using the exact same concept. So he's saying he has no partner, there's nothing with him. There's no one who does what he does, meaning there's nothing similar to him, subhanahu wa ta'ala, that he has no beginning, that he has no end. So they're all very standard descriptions of who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They said, then the servant will know that there is nothing that causes harm. There is nothing that causes benefit. There is nothing that gives. There is nothing that prevents. There is nothing that causes illness. There is nothing that causes us to be healed. There is nothing that elevates us, and there is nothing that debases us. There is nothing that creates, there is nothing that sustains, there is nothing that causes death, there is nothing that causes life, except for Him, glorified and exalted is He. This is how He ends with it. This is Jalla uh, Jalalu. You know, may, uh, magnified is His, uh, He's glorified, Subhanahu. So it's very beautiful. So this is the beginning point. First point, have to know who is Allah. Second point, the wabitu and masuluk. What are the guidelines of the knowledge of wayfaring? So again, you know, these are different things. Believing in Allah and what we believe is one thing. Acting in a way that's appropriate according to the Sharia is another thing. Getting to know Allah is another thing. So Iman Islam Ihsan. Iman Islam Ihsan. So what are then this, what are the um, the guidelines for one who's going to try to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So Qala Abu Qasim 
علمنا هذا مقيد بالكتاب والسنة فمن لم يقرأ القرآن ويكتب الحديث لا يصلح له أن يتكلم في علمنا رضي الله تعالى عنه um, and the editor, I'll translate it. The editor brings statements from Ibn Taymiyyah. He brings, actually, maybe I'll read it. It's kind of a nice statement. Um, he says, though this knowledge of ours, meaning the knowledge of how to come closer to God, okay? This knowledge of how to come closer to God, it is constricted by the Quran and the Sunnah. So whoever does not read the Quran and does not write hadith, that's how they would get hadith in the past, right? How do you get hadith? You sit in the gathering of hadith and you write it down as you heard it, and that's how you get the hadith. Or, or maybe you have to copy the book yourself, right? You go and you get the book and you copy it, so you have to write it in order to get the hadith. Whereas the Quran, maybe you just memorize it shafawiyan, you know, uh, person to person, orally, maybe you memorize it like that. So the person who doesn't read the Quran and doesn't write hadith, then they have no business speaking about this knowledge. It's very clear, right? So anyone who's like, oh, you know, this tasawwuf stuff, it doesn't have anything to do with this. this is, Imam al-Junaid is the Imam of Ihsan. What is Imam al-Junaid saying? If it's not limited by the Qur'an and the Sunnah, then you don't have any business saying it. This, it doesn't count. It's out. Okay? This is the statement of Ibn Taymiyyah that's in the bottom. It's very nice. He says, verily the awliya, verily the close friends of Allah. This is Ibn Taymiyyah, Says the close friends of Allah, it is obligatory upon them to hold tight to the Quran and to the Sunnah. Because uh, there's no one who is protected entirely from anything other than the Prophet. And the thing that protects them is the Quran and the Sunnah. I'm giving the meaning now, because the expression is a little bit hard to directly translate. Um, and this is agreed upon by all of the righteous people, all of the awliya. Uses specifically the word awliya. It's a very important word. So this, all of the awliya agree on this point. The awliya are the close friends of Allah, the wali, person who's a close friend of Allah. Uh, sometimes when you use this term, people say, "Oh yeah, actually everyone's an, everyone's from the awliya. Everyone's a wali." The Quran says that everyone's a wali. Okay, that's true, but he's clearly not using it in that way, right? And it's clearly not used in that way in all of these places. There, it's used in the way, in the understanding of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that whoever harms a wali of mine, then I declare war upon them. This is where the word is really coming from. Who are these people that you ask yourself? And who are these people that Allah is declaring war on them? And then he says that they are, basically that they're the people who they do the obligatory then they, so, and that's the most beloved thing to Allah. And then on top of that, they do the things that are optional until they become closer and closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the short of it, right? So these are the close friends of Allah. So he says that this is agreed upon by all of them, that whatever the knowledge is in this realm, it has to be understood through the light of the Quran and the Sunnah. And whoever says otherwise, they're not from the awliya, uh, who are the ones, and they're not from the awliya, which are the ones whom Allah has commanded us to follow. Right? So he says that they're not from the awliya and either they're a disbeliever or they're just someone who's very ignorant. Because how can you say that? Think about what you're saying. Say, I'm going to come closer to Allah, but I can do whatever I want. It doesn't have to be bound by the sharia. It doesn't have to be bound by the Quran and the sunnah. Of course, that's not acceptable, right? Uh, another one of the early righteous people, Abu Sulaiman al-Dawrani, he said, uh, he said that I, I, 
my heart like a, a like a nice thing that's said by one of the righteous people it will enter my heart he's like and when it enters my heart I don't accept it except that there's two witnesses to it those two witnesses are the Quran and the Sunnah so he says I might I might be inspired by something maybe someone says something really beautiful and it lands in my heart and I love it but I don't accept it until it passes the test of the Quran and the Sunnah right? so this is very important so one of the things that we learn from this is that there's and, and why the first point was the first point is that there's no going to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without basic knowledge of Aqidah and there's no going to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without basic knowledge of Sharia you can't, that's your protection actually your protection from the false teacher your protection from someone who's calling you to something that's not right is to know what is the Aqidah, to know what is the basic fiqh and also to know like how was the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam you know what was his character like how did he deal with people sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and all of that will give us guidelines he continues and he says قَالَ أَبُنْ قَاسِمَ تُرَقُ كُلَّهَا مَسْدُودًا عَلَى الْخَلْقِ إِلَّا مَنْ اقْتَفَى أَثْرُ الرَّسُولُ صلى الله عليه وسلم وَاتَّبَعَ سُنَّتُهُ وَلَزِمَ تَرِيقَتُهُ فَإِنَّ تَرِيقَ الْخَيْرَاتِ كُلِّهَا مَفْتُوحَةٌ عَلَيْهِ كما قال تعالى لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم حسنة. So he continues and he says all of the paths SubhanAllah again if you go back to like this whole you know, what is it going, where am I going to get my guidance actually on how to come to Allah? And why it has to start with Allah? Because actually a lot of this, a lot of talk around spirituality ends up not actually being about Allah. It ends up being about nafs, you know, our base selves. It ends up being about our desires. It ends up being about, you know, just our feelings and all of it. It becomes very self-centered actually, rather than Allah-centered. And um, so it has to start with This is about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala If it's about Allah and coming closer to Allah Then what he says here is that All of the paths are closed in front of the creation Except for following the footsteps of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And taking his way So the only path actually is to follow the footsteps of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And to take his way You might do other things that are actually beneficial And they might be beneficial because They're good and they're true but they're only pieces they're not going to be the entirety of the picture if you really want the whole picture how to come to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then it's through the way of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and staying uh, clinging tight to his way because uh, <coughs> all of all of the uh, all goodness basically is on the way of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as Allah said you have in the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam a good example you have a wonderful example and model in the way of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Okay, so now we continue Those are kind of foundational Now he's going to get into other stuff A little bit more uh, flavorful He says now قَالَ أَبُنْ قَاسِمْ مَا مِنْ شَيْءٍ أَسْقَطُ لِلْعُلَمَاءِ مِنْ عَيْنِ اللَّهِ مِنْ مُسَاكِنَةِ الطَّمْعِ مَعَ الْإِلْمِ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ Now you get a little bit deeper So he says now There's nothing that causes the people of knowledge to fall in the sight of Allah okay there's nothing that causes the people of knowledge to fall in the sight of Allah like the following thing so what is the thing is for tamar I have to translate it tamar and knowledge to be living next to each other as neighbors in the person's heart okay so I have someone who's trying to seek knowledge they're trying to seek knowledge, right? 
They're trying to know more about the religion. So what is the thing that's going to really hurt them as they're trying to know more about the religion? As if, is, is if, in their heart, as they're getting more knowledge, the thing that's next to their heart, next to that knowledge in their heart, is tama. Tama is like it's like uh, it's like some sort of mix between desire and ambition, but not a good ambition. A good ambition would be himma. Bad ambition is tama. Tama is like um, it's like you're you always seeking something more it's not satisfying enough to have what you have it's like you're seeking fame you're seeking power you're seeking authority you're seeking all of these things from the knowledge of Allah and his religion that you're not supposed to be seeking from the knowledge of Allah and his religion right so this tama is like that that um uh, there's such a there's a good word in english but it's not coming it's that desire you know, it's like that desire to, for all of those bad things, for knowledge, for power, for respect, for people to point at you, all of these things that are not actually the point of seeking the knowledge of Allah. It's the point of seeking the knowledge of Allah is to know Allah and to be close to Allah. It's not to be like, you know, this is the problem with all this internet stuff. It's a disaster, you know. Uh, it's very common actually in, in the Muslim majority lands and stuff for Shuyukh to not run their own pages on social media and stuff Because if you think about it There's a potential issue there It's one thing if there's like friends and colleagues and stuff and you're engaging with them and things But if you're doing the whole like putting your content out there so that you can get followers It's really not what you're supposed to be doing, right? Like if you see People who are doing religious stuff like religious knowledge and people of knowledge and things like this And their content is clickbait That's a huge red flag it's a huge red flag. And if you don't know what clickbait is, that's your own red flag. Like you should figure that out, okay? Because it's very clear the way things are done sometimes um, just to get our attention, just to get us to click on it, right? We have to understand that. We have to, this is intentionally playing with me, and I'm not going to be that person who just gets played, right? But on top of that, if you have, you know, like, Dean should never be done as clickbait. That's just gross. I mean, it's a, that it even happens is quite disgusting. I don't know. Uh, I don't even know how that happens. You know, it's it's not a. Uh, may Allah protect us. You know, but anyways, uh, thank you. So nothing brings the person down in the sight of Allah, like having these base desires, living right next to the knowledge in their heart. So both these things now are always together. Another one of his statements he said, Abu Qasim. فَتْحُ كُلِّ بَابٍ وَكُلِّ عِلْمٍ نَفِيسٍ بَذْلُ الْمَجْهُودِ فَتْحُ كُلِّ بَابٍ وَكُلِّ عِلْمٍ نَفِيسٍ بَذْلُ الْمَجْهُودِ He said, the opening of every door, the opening of every door and every beneficial knowledge is to put in effort. Is to put in effort. The opening of every door, every door, this is the opening of every door. And any knowledge that's beneficial is to put in effort. Bedul al-Majhud. So really like, not a, put in effort is not actually even sufficient for this word. This word is like, if you were to take the cup, and the cup was your effort, and you know, the, the water in the cup represents the effort, it's not sufficient to just pour a little bit of the water out. It's not what he's saying. Bedul al-Majhud is like, you take all of the water in the cup, and you dump all of the water out. 
that's what's necessary to open the doors. Uh, the, the, the key to open all doors and the key to all knowledge that's beneficial is to put in effort. Is to put in effort. And it has to be done over time. You know, they always say, uh, that knowledge will not give you some of it. Knowledge will not give you some of itself until you give it all of yourself. Knowledge will not give you some of itself until you give it all of yourself. You have to really, uh, one has to really kind of uh, swim in the oceans. And when you swim in the oceans, then, you know, you get wet at least, if not more. Qala Abu Qasim, la ta'as min nafsika wa anta tushfiku min dhambika wa tandam alayhi ba'da fi'alika. That's beautiful. He said, <coughs> he said, radiallahu ta'ala anhu nafanallahu bi, do not become, dis- do not have despair about yourself when you are having this really tremendous concern about your sin and you are regretful for the actions that you've done. So you have this situation, you've done whatever you've done or we've done whatever we've done and we find ourselves completely overwhelmed by regret and despair. So he says you feel this regret and you feel this uh, concern over the sin that you've made and you feel this guilt for the thing that you've done but don't have despair. He says don't have despair. And uh, you know despair actually this is not meant to guilt trip, this is meant to just put things in their right place. Despair is actually from the major sins. Don't have this despair when it comes to the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To say like, oh Allah can't forgive me, Allah can't help me, Allah can't turn my situation around, I'm so bad, who is it for me, who, is, who am I for Allah to help me, and all of these kind of things. That's not how our relationship with Allah works. That's usually how our relationship with abusive parents works. That's a different thing. You know, we're like we get in trouble and we can never get out of it. And we can never overcome it. And all the time our parents are just holding it over us and holding it over us and holding it over us. And you're like, you're like, Baba, Mama, like I didn't commit zina. I just forgot to put the dish in the sink after dinner. You know, (laughs) it's like, no, you're going to not forget this dish in the sink for the rest of your existence. You know, that creates a certain spiritual and psychological consequence. And it carries over. So now it carries over. And like, I made a mistake now with my relationship with Allah. Am I going to look at it the same way? Because this is what we do. A lot of how we look at, look at Allah is related to our experience with authority figures in our lives. Primarily our parents and sometimes others. Right? So how we think about Allah is often related to that. So this is why it's so important for the Prophet them to be Nabi al-Rahmah. He's the messenger of mercy, sallallahu alayhi wa He's not the messenger of rahmah. How are people going to understand Allah's ar-Rahman? It's very important, this issue. So he says that uh, don't have despair about yourself when you're in this state of being really upset about what you've done. Don't have despair and don't give up. And turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ibn Al-Ta'ala, he says something very beautiful in his hikam. We covered them before. He says that مِنْ عَلَامَةِ الْإِعْتِمَادِ عَلَى الْعَمَلِ نُقْصَانُ الرَّجَاءِ عِنْدَ وَجُودِ الزَّلَلِ that the sign that one has depended on themselves and not depended on Allah it's understood from that and not depended on Allah is that they lose hope when they make a mistake they lose hope when they make a mistake that means I was focusing on myself I wasn't focusing on Allah if I'm focusing on Allah 
then I make a mistake and of course I regret it and I ask for forgiveness and so on and so forth. But I don't just live in that place forever. I move on because Allah is Allah. And I turn back to Allah. I made a mistake, yes. And now I turn back to Allah and Allah forgives. And Allah will help me and Allah will support me and Allah will give me and Allah, you know, all of these type of things. He continues and he says, radiallahu anhu, inshallah we will stop for Maghrib, don't worry. As I always say, I want to pray Maghrib too. But, you know, we've only been going for 35 minutes. So, maybe we'll go for like another 15. It'll be enough and then we'll pray Maghrib straight away. If you need to make wudu or something, maybe you want to go make wudu now. So that you're ready um, when we come back. So, or you don't have to too. You know, maybe you're a quick wudu maker. Abu Qasim said, كان التوكل حقيقة واليوم هو علم سبحان الله This is in 290, he died in 298 after Hijra Okay, he died in 298 after Hijra He said, tawakkul, it used to be a reality And now it's just a knowledge It used to be a reality And now it's just a knowledge So what does this mean? First of all, what is tawakkul? Tawakkul is to put our complete dependence on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And part of putting our complete dependence on Allah Is to do what Allah tells us to do Okay, so there's no contradiction there But uh, Many people will do one of the two extremes One of them is, oh I'm putting all of my trust in Allah brother You know But they don't do anything about what Allah has told us to do So, you know Allah has given us means to do things in the world He's given us knowledge, He's given us medicine He's given us ways to do things um, and we follow them And we have tawakkul along with that The other thing that people will do is they take all of the material means But they completely forget Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Whether or not they will say that We oftentimes do So he says this idea of a tawakkul It was a reality And now it's just a knowledge So now it's just something we talk about you know, We talk about this thing, we explain it We explain what it is, so on and so forth but before, it was like a real thing. You saw it with people. You could feel it. That's like, um, it's like what they say about the word tasawwuf. They say that it was a reality without a name. And then it became a name without a reality. So it was a reality without a name. This idea of like spiritual elevation was a reality. With the Sahaba, with the students of the Sahaba, and the righteous people at early periods, so on and so forth. And they didn't really care for the name. And then later on it became like there's this name. And the reality is lost. The reality of it is lost. We just use the name and we talk about the words and we use the words and everything. And that's why if you remember when we talked about the qualities of a true shaykh from the translation that we had done, one of the things he said as a sign of a, of a not true shaykh is that they're always using the words of spirituality. <laughs> he said like they don't have to actually do that all the time. They don't have to always be talking about it. They just have to be it. It's not that they're always talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. They just do it. Yeah, it's a little bit problematic when I'm sitting here and reading this, but... Allah forgives us. So what this means is, this wara is like scrupulousness, okay? So usually we think about this in terms of our income, right? Like I want to have a job that's halal, and I want the money that comes into my home to be halal, 
and I don't want it to be tainted with all of these other things and so on and so forth. And alhamdulillah, that's, that's good, right? That's usually where people think about it. He says to have that in one's speech is even, I guess you could translate this a number of different ways, but most likely it seems that it, it, he's saying that uh, it's a bigger deal to have that in your speech than it is to have it in your income. This is something to really sit with for a second, right? So we, we think about it when it comes to our money, but if you, if you really want to apply this idea, apply it to your speech. Or the things that I say, you know, did I really need to say that? Did I say it in the best way? Mema Shafi'i says, for example, that if you're going to say something, then you should consider if there's benefit or not. And if you think that there might be some harm, then you don't say it. And if the harm and the benefit are equal, you don't say it. But if there's a benefit and it's clear and you're confident there's going to be benefit in the thing that you're going to say, then you say it. Really one of the uh, uh, problems uh, that we have is that we talk too much. <laughs> you know? And then it becomes a culture of talking too much. And everybody's talking all the time. And, um, you know, subhanAllah, you don't always have to talk. Uh, remember one time we were somewhere and there was uh, a sheikh came there and the drive to that place was a couple hours you know and he rode with someone in particular and then uh, he was talking about it later actually he was lecturing on speech and he was saying that this brother that we rode with uh, he's one of my the most beloved people in the world to me and they don't live together, they don't live near each other, anything like that. He said he's one of the most beloved people in the world to me. And we drove over here, and we didn't talk. <laughs> you know, like two hours passed, we just sat together. And you see this sometimes with like old school people. Maybe the end of the night comes, they just sit, they have their tea, and they're just together. The words don't actually have to be said. You know, it's so beautiful actually, really. And we're so, sometimes like we're so used to speaking too much that we can't actually even understand this, you know? Like it's, it's like, no, I, I, I just want to be with you. We don't have to talk. We don't have to fill the space with something else. We just want to be with you. And of course, I just want to be with Allah. And I want to recognize that the things that I say, they matter. And I need to discipline it. And the disciplining of the tongue is a huge essential part of the disciplining of the soul huge essential part like it's if you had to figure out like okay what is one thing i'm going to focus on just focus on that a lot of other things will fix themselves like the prophet said to muhadh ibn jabal right he said he gave him all the teachings of islam here's the five pillars and here's the jihad and here's sadaqah and charity and quran and all fasting and all of these things and he said do you want to know what holds all of that together he said what ya rasulullah he said just imsik alayka hold this Hold this thing of yours, and he held. Actually, the Prophet actually held his tongue when he told him. He held his tongue. He told him, "Hold this thing." And he said, "Ya Rasulullah, like we're going to be held accountable for the things that we say. Is it is it like that, Ya Rasulullah, sallallahu And he said, "May your mother lose you." It's not an actual du'a; it's an expression, right? Uh, Mu'adh. Does anything get people thrown into the hellfire on their faces more than the harvest of their tongues? More than the harvest of their tongues. So it's a really important issue. Learning to discipline this, learning to not need to say things all the time. Um, Allah help us.
All right, maybe last one, inshallah. It's a little bit longer, uh, and then we'll stop. Qala Abu Qasim. Yeah, Latif. I'm just looking at it so I can figure out how to translate it. Okay, don't worry. Meta aratta and tashrufa bil ilmi wintun saba ilayhi watakuna min ahlihi kabla and tuartia and ilma malahu alaik ehtajaba anka nuruhu wabakia alaika was wasmuhu wadhuhuru. ذلك العلم عليك ذلك وذلك أن العلم يشير إلى استعماله وإذا لم يستعمل العلم في مراتبه في مراتبه رحلت بركاته سبحان الله الله said if you want to be honored because of knowledge and to be considered um, from the people of knowledge and to be understood as someone that you go to for knowledge before you give knowledge its right upon you then its light will be hidden from you and the only thing that will remain are its external symbols okay so I'll say it again he said if you are seeking knowledge and what you want from this knowledge is basically to have a station with people to be pointed to to be understood as someone of knowledge to be all of these type of things and you haven't and you want this before you've given knowledge it's right upon you then it's light which is actually one of the main goals of it is the light the illumination that happens in the heart that light that comes from the knowledge will be hidden from you there'll be a hijab between you and that light and the only thing that will remain is its outward uh, signs or its outward symbol, you know, the show of it. Only the show of it will remain. And really, to be honest, so much of it is just a show. Allah protect us. So much of this whole thing is just a big show. Just a big like, you pat my back, I pat your back, I'll call you sheikh, you call me sheikh, we'll all be sheikhs together, you share my stuff, I'll share your stuff, we can do whatever we want, and like, it's just, it's a big like, fadiha, the masraha, it's like, it's just like a big, it's like, like in a cinema together, you know? <laughs> and it's not even intentional sometimes, that's the thing about like, when a system is not good, sometimes it's not even intentional, it's just the person gets sucked into that way of doing things, and then they become part of that thing. He says that knowledge will be against you, not for you. Because knowledge calls towards its implementation. And when it's not implemented in its proper places, then its blessing departs. Then its blessing departs. When the knowledge isn't used in the right way, when it's not put in its place, then the blessing of that knowledge departs. Does anyone have any comments or questions or anything before we close for Majlis? There's still some time, I mean, it's not, uh, it's not bad if we take a couple questions. Inshallah, there's a little bit of time, yeah. What was the word that you used that it like lies in our hearts? Would you say that greed is a good translation or not? Yeah, greed is a good translation for that, actually, yeah. 
Uh, actually, sometimes they translate it also as want, with an O, not with an A. Right? Want, like similar to greed. Yeah, it's like a greediness to it. ثم يطمع وان أزيد, right? And uh, which surah is that? That the person Allah gave gave them everything, and then they just want more. Yeah, so I just want more Allah. I just want more and more and more and more and more. It's always it's this. Uh, you know, Allah protect us. Yeah, anyone else? Yes. So he said, when you're talking about knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what do you think about Ibn al-Arabi's idea of wahdudun wujud? And he considered that kind of like knowing Allah. Um, wahdudun wujud is hard to translate. It's like the oneness of existence. So, so the vast majority of scholars would say that this is completely invalid. Um, and there's no such thing as the oneness of existence because if we were to say that there's like it's 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 a um it's more like something that one it's like someone is so enveloped in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they feel like there's nothing between them and Allah as if it's just one but in reality it's not right so this is the issue so um and Allahu alam ibn al-arabi's position on that i mean ibn al-arabi is um quite often misunderstood and there's often things that are attributed to him that are not actually his and I definitely would not recommend trying to understand Ibn Arabi from anyone who's doing it in English and uh, if, you're, if you want to understand Ibn Arabi you have to really go to like the big ulama who really would know that and they're not a whole lot um, because again there's just a lot of misunderstanding around these things and, and a lot of people have translated Ibn Arabi in the West and like to talk about Ibn Arabi in the West, they really like him. They, they like this idea of Wahdatun Wujud. And I think it's because it reminds them of the Force. <laughs> you know, in Star Wars. <laughs> and probably other reasons too. Like there's, you know, there's like a... It almost feels sometimes like there's an agenda behind it. But Allahu A'lam. But, you know, uh, classic, like theology would tell us that if you feel this as if there's a oneness of existence, it might be something that you feel but it's not a reality. There's still a creator and there's still creation. So a lot of the a lot of the scholars they said it's actually not wahdatul wujud, it's wahdatul shuhud. That you witness it as if it's all one, but it's not actually one. And it's actually that Allah is Allah and creation is creation. We go back to Imam al Janaid. But Allahu Anu. You know, Allahu one of the people in Zoom, he sends a quote, it says, Humility is the foundation of all the other virtues. Hence, in the soul in which this virtue does not exist, there cannot be any other virtue except in mere appearance. Well, that's beautiful. St. Augustine. Inshallah. We have one brother who, he's extremely well-versed in the Western canon. So anytime there's a session and he's part of it, he'll give these like really beautiful quotes from... Usually from like uh, you know different sources, we realize that subhanAllah, there's a shared understanding here. So, okay, anyone else? Yes. Say that you mentioned that it's necessary to have the basics of aqidah uh, initially. Say that you're newly the president of an MSA. 
how would you establish that in a practical sense among your Muslims today? So, Aqidah and Fiqh are first, and you're the president of an MSA. <clears throat> How do you convey that to people? Um, or, like, what was the word you used? How do you impl implement? I think there's different ways that you can do it, but I think that it's important actually for MSAs to provide these things. Either as like a service that's actually being provided by MSA, like someone's brought in to teach basic aqidah or basic fiqh or something, or at least like everyone watches it together maybe and like, you know, discusses and takes their questions to someone who's qualified, stuff like that. It doesn't take that long. You know, Sheikh Fuad's class on creative oneness is probably like five or six hours, right? So it's five or six hours in the room. I mean, probably you get your screen report every Sunday and it's five or six hours. So. <laughs> a day. <laughs> so, inshallah, there's enough time to learn some basic aqidah. Fiqh is the same. Basic fiqh would take you maybe a little bit longer. Like 10, 12 hours or something. But that's still not very long at all in the grand scheme of things, especially for most students. Especially, you know, if they don't have to work and stuff like that. <coughs> Anyone else have anything? Yes. Yeah, you spoke a little bit about despair. Do you have any advice on how to talk to somebody who is conditioned to think in a despairing way? Well, here's the thing, is that some of the issues that we have, they usually don't develop overnight, and they're not usually solved overnight. And um, yes, Allah can do whatever He wants to do, but there's also regular patterns in the world. So if someone is conditioned to despair all the time, then they need to recognize that and they need to seek some help in dealing with that spiritually and emotionally and you know and, and that's probably going to require some sort of combination of mental health therapy type thing and some sort of um, like spiritual commitment you know they're going to need to do their aqidah they're going to need to be around good people that don't do that to them and um and then they're going to need to take their time and work through it. And I, th I think that we should be merciful with ourselves sometimes and recognize that there's things that have become part of the way that we are, usually because of our experiences growing up, um, that they're not going to change very quickly. And that's okay. We're not, we're not, uh, <coughs> we're not called upon to actually finish the change. We're called upon to recognize the issue and try to work towards improving it. And insofar as we're doing that, then alhamdulillah we're doing what's needed from us. And, uh, and Allah is generous and inshallah he'll facilitate for us the path and so on and so forth, but it might take time. There's a lot of things for me personally that, you know, sometimes I'm like, man, it's been 15 years and you can't like fix this thing. And it's because it's hard sometimes. It's like part of me, it takes time. Yeah, so. Uh, and alhamdulillah other things maybe we're conditioned in a really good way and we should be grateful for that uh, Allah help us but I think that the short answer to that is that if someone is like that and they're going to need good company and they're going to need to commit to some sort of spiritual development and they're going to need to probably commit to some sort of therapy and through all of those together hopefully they can make improvement
this. Is it bad to like point the cold turkey if like you have like a bad habit and you're like, you know what? I'm just tired no. It's not bad to quit cold turkey. This is the question is, is it bad to quit cold turkey if you have a bad habit or something? No, it's good. It's good to just stop it. But just know that it's sometimes hard to do that. So the, the problem with that is if someone tries to quit cold turkey, whatever it is, and, um, and then when they're not able to, they despair and they give up. That would be a problem, you know? But to really just try to cut something out, it's not a bad thing. But you know, it's hard to generalize that because there's different kinds of things that that could be, and there's different you know levels of it, and there's different personalities. Some people, it's very they have that kind of thing that when they really determine to quit something, they just quit it. Um, and some people, that's very hard for them for any number of reasons, right? So, Lohana. Anything else? We can also talk after Madhu, inshallah, if anyone has anything. Subhanakallah, <laughs> <laughs>